Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you got some nice outdoor time while it was actually warm instead of what happens like this weekend where it just like plummeted and it's all like nasty April weather. That's kind of like typical, right? But I think we can safely say with confidence that the snow accumulation is over. Like, right? I mean, I think that's worth celebrating, <laughs> especially because of how crazy of a march that we had. So I'm, yeah, you can quote me on that. Now, you know, there could be some like overnight flurries that could happen still, but like accumulation on the ground, I think it's over. So I'm excited. Hopefully you're excited. I can't. I'm so happy for spring. It's just been really nice getting our dog out finally. He was so cooped up. He was driving us crazy. So now he can be outside and we can be outside. It's just spring is a good time. So with spring, we are about to enter our final Sunday morning sermon series here at Mission Point. So um, when we were thinking about what that would look like and how we would kind of end our Sunday morning gathering time we're thinking about it and it, it, it sort of just became obvious that we needed to go back to what mission point was really started on the kind of founding principles and that is follow Jesus share life and change the world but we decided that we weren't going to do something on that like topical so I it wasn't going to be like oh I have followed Jesus so I'm going to do something in John and the next one is share life and that'll be something from Exodus we decided to frame it a little bit differently this time um, just to keep it fresh and to kind of as our big send off so the entire this entire last four messages we're doing is going to be at the very end of Acts and so the end of Acts is the end of Paul's story it's the end of the story of the beginning of the church, the early church, with the idea that like we are going to launch ourselves into the next phase, the next evolution of what Mission Point has for us from that point, that ending. You know, the story ends there, but it obviously still goes on. And so that's kind of the same for Mission Point, too. And so you're going to be hearing from all of us one more time before we're done. And that'll be exciting. Um, I think Stephanie's got like snake, like, you know, when Paul gets bit by a snake, it's going to be a good time. I'm so excited. <laughs> so that's kind of how we're going to end our time and our Sunday morning time at Mission Point. So where we are, like I said, we're at the end of Acts. It's the very end of Paul's life. And he's done and he's seen a lot of different stuff at this point. He's started a bunch of churches. He's dealt with a lot of church drama. You read the epistles, you re quickly realize, like, we as human beings, we don't really change, do we? Like, we like to think that, you know, oh, stuff is, like, way better in the past. But, whew, man, he had some harsh things to say about the churches that he was dealing with and had to do some major course corrections. So we're just, we're the same no matter what year it is. Um, he... Uh, he discipled men and women to continue his work. Um, he even he came head-to-head -head with teachers who he had disagreements with, and he kind of course-corrected the church and kind of what, kind of what, how we view Jesus. And without that, I think our, I think our, what, what we would be doing here would look very, very different. And Torn is really cute and distracting. I'm sorry. <laughs> just like trying not to look at his cute little face and it's not working. Okay, sorry, I just had to say that. Um, 
But at the end of Paul's life, there's one more thing that he has to do. It's sort of his like big dream, the thing he actually starts talking about in the epistles. He tar- talks about it in different places in Acts, and that is he wants to get to Rome. And Rome at this point is a place that is difficult for a Jewish person to get into. If you remember Priscilla and Aquila, they were Jews living in Rome who were exiled from Rome for being Jewish. So it's not exactly a friendly place for the Jewish people to be, and yet it is the center of everything happening in the Roman Empire. It is the center of culture, policy, trade. I mean, everything that happens is in the heartbeat of Rome, and Paul wants to go there and share the gospel. But Paul doesn't just want to go there to share the gospel. He has something very specific in mind, which is actually interesting because most throughout most of Acts and we see that Paul has a pattern of he wants to go to the Jews first, he shares the gospel with them, and then he goes and kind of spreads out from there, not with Rome. He wants to go right to the top. He wants to preach the gospel to the most influential leaders and policymakers of the day. He wants to talk to Caesar himself about Jesus and all of those who are around him. That is Paul's dream. That's his goal. And so... Paul comes back from a missionary journey. He goes to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. A bunch of stuff happens. He goes to trial. And he actually would have been exonerated, but he appeals his case directly to Caesar, which you could do if you were a Roman citizen. And they were like, oh, well, that's kind of extreme. We're going to let you off, but okay, it's too late. You've already appealed to Caesar, so here we go. And that was a strategic move on Paul's part because this is how he's going to get in front of these Roman officials who he wants to share the gospel with. And so he is arrested and he's put on a ship bound for Rome. And at this point in missionary journey, Luke is with Paul. And the language and style of Acts actually changes here from early Acts. When you read early Acts, you're getting very much like a straightforward account of this happened and this happened. And this person said this person is clearly Luke getting this information third hand, like he wasn't around. But in this later section, it changes drastically. And Luke is writing from a first person kind of a eyewitness account of everything that's going on. So you see a lot of Luke saying, we did this and we did that. And Luke is actually very meticulous in the details that he writes down, things that are probably not necessary. He describes the bow of the ship that they're on, you know, it's like it had to this and that, and is that really necessary? No, but it gives credit to what is going on in the story, like, yes, they really were here, they really did this, and here's how we can prove it. And so you'll see like a lot of meticulous detail coming out. And because of that, we get some little more insights. And right now, kind of in the story, they are on the island of Crete, and winter is coming. Winter is coming. And I didn't even mean to say that, and I said it. But it's true. Winter is coming. And winter in the Mediterranean Sea is very interesting. And by interesting, I mean like deadly and dangerous. You know, you think about the Mediterranean Sea, and I think about luxury, you know, like yachts and palm trees and ships and decadence and... France and Spain and you know these like Greece and all of these like wonderful things that I wanted to go swimming in this in the Mediterranean Sea and that's all true in the summer but it ain't true in the winter in some sections and the reason for that is 
you've got all of this cold air coming out down of Europe, right? And even in the southern coast of France and Spain, they can get down to freezing temperatures in the winter. And that kind of mixes with all this hot air that's coming up out of Africa and out of the Middle East. So what happens? Typhoons, hurricanes. I was doing some reading about what it's like now, and this is what the sailors say even now. The, the storms are still very unpredictable. They can just whip up in a flash, especially around the islands of Cyprus and Crete. It is known. Do not sail, or you're, you're really maybe not making a smart decision if you want to sail those islands in the winter. And so what's happening here is Paul and the company, they are sailing. They're trying to make it to Rome before winter. And Acts 27 tells us that Paul warns the centurion who's in charge of the criminals, who Luke tells his, us his name was Julius, that their voyage would be perilous at this point if they left. Well, the captain says something different because and it's, it's ex reasonably expected at this point that, I mean, the centurion doesn't know Paul. It's not quite winter yet. The harbor that they're in is not safe for winter, so they need to leave. So everyone's persuaded. There's a gentle breeze, Luke says, and they catch it. And this gentle breeze soon turns into a hurricane and a monstrous storm. And it was so bad that the sailors decided they were going to just stop fighting the waves. They're just not going to even try and sail where they were going to sail. They're just going to let the storm carry them because at that point it was safer. And they start lightening the low. They start throwing the cargo over. They start, you know, they start rationing food. They have no idea where they're at. And this continued, Luke says, for many days and many nights. And everyone at this point, very reasonably, is starting to lose hope because they have no idea where they are. They're being battered by a storm. It's not looking too good. And Luke says that this keeps going for quite a while. And so in Acts 27, verse 21 through 26, Paul finally stands up and addresses the boat. And this is what Paul says. He says, men, you should have complied with my instructions not to sail from Crete. Then we would have avoided this damage and loss. Now I urge you to be encouraged. Not one of your lives will be lost, though we will lose the ship. Last night, an angel from the God whom I belong and whom I worship stood beside me. The angel said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Indeed, God has also graciously given you everyone who is sailing with you. Be encouraged, men. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as he told me. However, we must run aground on some island. So Paul finally stands up and he says this. It's been 14 days. Two weeks that they've been tossed around. Maybe they've run into more than one storm. Would not surprise me. They're like going with the storm as it's moving. And they just, they're just not really sure what's happening. And so the sailors at this point, they begin to suspect that maybe they're starting to come up on some land. And so how they determine that is they drop anchor and measure and see how far down it goes, wait a bit, and drop anchor again. And they determine that, yes, actually, the water is getting shallower. They are coming up on some land. And there are some sailors here. They try to get off the ship at this point. Again, this is like a reasonable thing to do. You've been battered at sea for 14 days. There's hope of land. It's time to get off. But Paul warns our friend Julius here that if they do that, they will die. And Julius, instead of ignoring Paul's advice, actually takes it. And they cut the lifeboats away and let them go, and everyone remains on board. And so we're going to pick up with verse 33 of Acts 27, and we'll read to the end of the chapter and find out what happens. 
So just before daybreak, Paul urged everyone to eat. He said, this is the 14th day you've lived in suspense and you've not had a bite to eat. I urge you to take some food. Your health depends on it. None of you will lose a single hair from his head. And after he said these things, he took bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all, then broke it and began to eat. Everyone was encouraged and took some food. In all, there were 276 of us on the ship. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. In the morning light, they saw a bay with a sandy beach. They didn't know what the land was, but they thought it might possibly be able to run the ship aground. They cut the anchors loose and left them in the sea. At the same time, they untied the ropes and ran back to the rudders. They raised the foresail to catch the wind and made for the beach. But they struck a sandbar and the ship ran aground. The bow was struck and wouldn't move and the stern was broken into pieces by the force of the waves. The soldiers decided to kill the prisoners to keep them from swimming to shore and escaping. However, the centurion wanted to save Paul, so he stopped them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump aboard first and head for land. He ordered the rest of us to grab hold of planks or debris from the ship. And this way, everyone reached land safely. Okay, that's a lot of stuff that's happened to Paul <laughs> in this one chapter. He gets shipped off to Rome, gets swept up in a storm, which if, when you read the epistles, Paul says that he's been shipwrecked more than once. So this was one of those times that Paul was shipwrecked. Um, these people are very reasonably afraid for their lives. What does Paul do in this situation? He gets up and he starts leading the people through a time of crisis. And I guess when we think about it, we're not actually that surprised because it's Paul and he just tends to take charge wherever he goes. Like that's just like in his personality. But it's fascinating that Paul takes charge in the situation as a prisoner and everybody listens to him. Even though he is a prisoner, like the centurion, Mr. Julius here, has no like reason to trust Paul at all, starts taking his advice, and people follow his direction in the midst of this crisis, even though Paul is not clearly not in charge. He's in chains. And because of this, everyone was able to be saved. Like Paul had just had complete confidence in what God had told him. And because of that, he was able to pass on that confidence to the people around him, and they were able to be encouraged. Like they'd been abstaining from food. They were obviously very tired from sailing in such rough conditions. They were probably sick, absolutely starving. And Paul's like, you guys need to eat. It's time to eat. You, it's important for your health, Paul says, to eat. And he leads and breaks bread, and everyone's like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Let's, let's all eat. And they all eat. And his leadership and favor with Julius means that all the prisoners were spared, because like Luke tells us that the soldiers were thinking about just killing everyone so they wouldn't escape, and Julius says no. Julius is taking a really big risk here when he s wants to save Paul, because, I mean, his job is on the line. If he loses these soldiers, like, or if he loses these prisoners, that is not going to look good on his resume, right? But at this point, they've been through so much together, and he trusts Paul so implicitly that he intervenes in the situation, and everyone is saved. The ship is lost, just like Paul has said. Everything Paul has said so far has come true. I think a lot of times when we think about following Jesus, we don't really think about what that means in the context of leading others. 
maybe in like some spiritual settings we might. So, you know, you are teaching Sunday school and you're following Jesus by doing that and you're leading the little ones and learning about Jesus too. But at least for me, I don't ever really think about what it means to follow Jesus in like a non-spiritual space. But it is so crucial that when we follow Jesus, it doesn't just affect our own person. It affects all the people that are around us. And for the better. That's really what we're getting at here when we look at what Paul is doing. What I love about Paul here is that he's not really being weird about it either. I mean, Paul can be a weird guy, let's just be honest. But, I mean, he... He really, he gives his advice at the beginning, and as far as we know, he doesn't really say anything else until we're two weeks into this thing. And he does give a little rebuke and say, well, I told you. But it's, it's mostly about encouraging the people around him that they're going to be safe. And he tells them more than once that they're going to be okay. And he, you know, Paul could have complained, he could have yelled further, he could have said, oh, well, you know, you guys didn't listen to me, which I think sometimes we have a tendency to do, you know. We can feel like as, as Christians, like we're not heard or not listened to, but, but Paul doesn't really, he kind of skips all that. And he's just there to encourage and to direct and to lead in a situation that's perilous. And so... Again, and can't stress this enough, like because of because of the leadership that Paul gives here, because he was following Jesus, everyone else was affected by that. And obviously, when we look at our own lives, there's going to be very few, if any, situations where we're actually leading people through mortal danger. Like hopefully that never happens to you. I can think of one person I know when I was growing up. He was in New York during 9-11. He had to step up and take leadership as buildings were collapsing, and he was close enough to the towers where he was dusted from head to toe. Um, and he stood up and took charge and led people through a perilous situation. But like most of us, that's not going to be how we kind of lead out. But the principle, I think, is, is there, is the same. And I think it happens more often than it can happen more often than we realize. So it could be, say, a situation, um, maybe it's at work, where you are working on a work project, and you it's a stressful situation, things aren't happening, or they should be happening, or you know how these things go, they never go well, <laughs> it feels like. But because you're there, because you follow Jesus and you love Jesus, you are able to lead people through that in, in a variety of ways. I mean, I, I firmly believe that Jesus cares about our jobs, our mundane jobs that we could like. They're not necessarily spiritual. <laughs> they just, they're to support us. I think Jesus really does care about that stuff. I think he cares about us succeeding in the spaces that we're in. I think that when we pray for our jobs, and for our bosses and our corporate, I think that that's good. I think we should do that. I think we should pray for the prosperity in the places that we work. So maybe you've been praying and you just really believe that, you know what, this thing is going to go through. I know it doesn't look like it, but it's going to go through people and we're going to do what we can. And, and maybe because of that, the team succeeds. 
Like, that's you following Jesus, leading in a non-spiritual space. But you're affecting everyone around you because of your listening to God. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not that explicit. Maybe it's just because of your ethics. You make decisions and don't cut corners where maybe someone else would be tempted to. And the project succeeds because of that. Or maybe it's just because of your personality. Maybe everyone else is like, why isn't so-and-so stressed out by this? And you're like, I, think, I just think it's going to be okay. You are affecting everyone else around you by following Jesus, and you're leading in that context, whether you're in charge of the project or not. Maybe it's leading by example and being compassionate. Um, we, we've talked about some heavy topics here at Mission Point. We talked about racism. Uh, we've talked about social justice, what that really looks like. I think leading in that, when you are an advocate for someone who cannot be an advocate in a public space, people stop and they take notice of that. It immediately changes the situation from something bad maybe to something better. Maybe that's how you follow Jesus and lead in a public space. And, you, and because you've taken charge, someone's life is like actually made for the better because they were advocated for. Maybe leading others by following Jesus is asking someone if you can pray for them. And that, I know that sounds very much like, oh, we're stepping out in faith, and you are. <laughs> but I, I, think it's, I think it's still true that when people are facing hard times and you offer to pray for them, more often than not, they want prayer. They'll say, they'll accept that. And if they don't, that's okay. But it's you, you know, Jesus tells us that we are to be salt and light in the world, and you decide to take, a, take action on that, and someone's life is made for the better. Maybe leading is simply being there for your kids or your grandkids or the kids down the block who you know that they just need, they just need a good example. Um, I think that one of the big things that I have learned is that discipleship doesn't happen from here. It happens every day in the grocery store, having a cup of coffee with someone, just doing the everyday, mundane, day-to-day -day life where you're following Jesus and you don't even realize it, but like that changes your mentality and because of that, someone's life is changed. Um, I thought of this really random situation when I was thinking about all of the ways that how we like lead by following Jesus. And this, what hap this thing that happened to me in middle school came to me. I haven't thought about this in forever. So I was in early middle school. I was with a friend. Um, and we were playing cards, just, you know, like normal cards. And we started joking around that, like, maybe we could tell each other's, like, future from this deck of cards. We're totally being not serious about it. I promise. We're just joking around. It's a funny thing, right? And all of a sudden, this, it, it's like, oh, if a window was open and a press of wind, like, blew through and it just chilled us both to the bone. <laughs> Like something demonic had happened while we were joking around. And my friend, she was not a Christian by any sense of the means, she was, but knew that I was, and she turned to me with these wide eyes, and she was like, whatever we just did, you know about this stuff. 
tell me what to do so we can make it go away. And she understood in that moment. She could feel it too, like it wasn't just me. And I said, okay, well, I think we're supposed to pray. So we prayed. I taught her how to pray, and we prayed for this stupid thing that happened, and it went away, right? It, just, just a random situation, unexpected moment, because I knew Jesus, I knew what to do. And I was able to lead us out of a bad situation that was of our own making, but completely unintentional. So I could keep going, but hopefully those are just some examples to like get your brain kind of thinking this way. The place where we get a lot of our teaching and our discipleship tools, 3DM has this kind of weird saying. It's where they say, you should be a sheep from the front and a shepherd from the back. Right? That's how it goes. I didn't get it mixed up, right? Right, yeah, okay. <laughs> Meaning that we're always following and we're always leading at the same time. And so the idea is, you know, who are you following? Well, you're following lots of people. You're following people who are further in the journey than you, following your peers, you're following, you know, whoever. You're also following Jesus. And so you're following his leading while at the same time leading others behind you. And that really is like the essential part of discipleship. It's like the crux of what we're really after is to do both at the same time. We've always talked about how like we feel like we're not ready or we don't want to like step out because we're not good enough, we don't have enough tools, but really just by following Jesus, your life is drastically different than those around you, and you may not realize it, but it's true. And you have the ear of the Father and the heart of the Father with you as you journey throughout your mundane day sometimes. Sometimes it's mundane. And because of that, you are able to affect not just your own person, but people in the spaces around you. And sometimes that is going to make all the difference just like it did for those soldiers and those prisoners, and for Luke, too, on that ship. And so as I leave you with this one thought, that's what I want you to remember, is that you are so incredibly already wonderful, just the way you are, and you have the ability to f- affect those in the spaces that you're in. And that, I think we're, we can be so afraid that that's going to be negative, but it's a positive. It's a good thing. So you never know when your leadership, when you just being you is going to change the situation, and that will make all the difference for someone. So let's pray.